I want to preach a message to you this morning entitled, You Are On Track. Uh, is that okay? Look to the person on the left and tell them you're on track. Look to the person on the other side and tell them that you're on track. In fact, last week when I came up here, I, I just about jumped in front of Dan Bates because the atmosphere was electric. And when God downloaded this message to me three weeks ago, I, uh, uh, in fact, it was at state conference. It just, it just resonated. I'm actually, I like this message. I like uh, the context of it. And it fits very well within the scheme of where we're at as a community and a church, regardless of the season we're in. Specifically now, though, as we're on this platform of talking about transformation. And not just transformation, transformation into testimonies, celebrating testimonies. I'm going to read in just a second from Acts chapter 10, verse 44. Acts chapter 10, verse 44. If you have your Bibles, you can flick up, you can look up, you can turn on, you can swipe. You could probably just open the Bible if you uh, have that way or you are still that way of inclined to the Bible. Acts chapter 10, verse 44. Father, I just thank you as I preach through this word. Although I may go a little bit fast and get a little bit excited, Father, I thank you that you will work through me this morning. Lord, I pray that for every conversation throughout the weekend, throughout the week from husband and wife, and grandparent and child alike, Lord, regardless of what place and platform we've come into here this morning, Lord, I pray that you would unlock anything that might try and bind us or, or, or contain us, Lord Jesus, to being stuck in one way of thinking. This morning, Lord, I thank you as your word comes forth that it would be sharper than a two-edged sword. Father, that it would cut through and divide everything that which you have sent it forth. Lord, I thank you that your promises do not return void. Father, this morning I pray for salvation, Lord, and I just thank you so much that it's your goodness that leads us to salvation. It's your goodness, God. Father, it's your goodness that leads us to repentance. Father, we just thank you so much for all you're doing. In the name of Jesus, amen. Give someone a high five and ask them if they're awake. You're going to be, because I'm going to be doing some expository preaching this morning, amen. Hey, to give you some context for where we're going, Acts chapter 10, verse 44, and the build-up to this particular passage of Scripture, uh, Peter is the subject of the narrative for today. Peter is a disciple of Jesus, as many of us once would know. He often says uh, from his heart that bypasses his brain, which often, more often than not, would get him in trouble with Jesus and with whoever the community was he was speaking. But I like him. He spoke his mind. He's kind of a little bit about, uh, like me, if you will, uh, comparing all the disciples. But in this particular context, Acts chapter 10, in fact, backing it up a little bit, Peter has arrived at his friend's house and he uh, went for dinner. As all good men do, we arrive and we want food. And as he arrived at the house, he discovered that dinner wasn't ready. So the Bible tells us that he went up on the roof to pray. Another thing that good men do is they go and pray. And he went up into the secret place and he was praying. And uh, at this particular passage, and again, I'm paraphrasing or time in the passage, while Peter was praying on the roof, the Lord uh, gave him a vision as he slipped into a, a trance-like state, the Bible tells us. And it was a sheet being lowered with animals on it and all sorts of animals and birds. And the Lord said to him, kill and eat. And Peter said, God, again, paraphrasing, I haven't eaten anything unclean. And God said, don't call anything impure what I have called pure. The Bible says while Peter was meditating, meditating and he was pondering on, on what this meant, it says the angel or the Holy Spirit came and he spoke to Peter and he said, there are going to be three men coming and they'll be coming and I've sent them. When they come, you are to go with them. 
game, paraphrasing, the men came and they knock on the door. The Bible indicates that Peter looked over and said, hey guys, I'm here, you're looking for me. Peter goes down, lets them in the door. And when Peter has a bit of a conversation, these men eventually tell him that they've been sent by a guy by the name of Cornelius. They say he's a faithful servant, he loves the Lord, he's highly respected amongst Jews. And this gentleman, their leader, has sent them because when he was praying and his generosity, it actually got the attention of God. I love what Pastor Kent said, generosity gets God's attention. And in this case, it got God's attention and God said to Cornelius, send some servants to Peter and they will bring Peter back and Peter has a message for you. So the Bible says the next day, Peter and the the men and some of Peter's disciples or his community, they set off and they arrived at Cornelius' house. When Peter walked through the door, he being a Jew and they being Gentiles, he made this, 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 he identified that as a fact and he says, but you know what? The Lord has told me, don't call anything impure, which he calls pure. So Peter enters and he just begins to share. He didn't have the NIV, the Passion Translation, the Message Translation. He had his own translation of his testimony of what he had experienced of the journey of the gospel message of what it was to walk with Jesus, the Son of God. It's interesting that Peter starts to share this message and the goodness of God. Cornelius, the Bible tells us, invited all of his extended family. And in other words, it was kind of like Peter would be standing where I'm at, talking to you all, but you all were part of Cornelius' family. Amen? In the Bible, I want to pick it up here in verse 44 to get to a point. There's so many different rabbit trails we could go down, but for the sake of time, I want to get straight into it. The Scripture says, while Peter was speaking, or still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter, they were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in other tongues and they were praising God. Then Peter said, surely no one can stand in their way of them being baptized with water. They had received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then hear this for a moment. They asked Peter, to stay with them for a few days. It's interesting because if you were to look at this particular passage of Scripture, you would make, uh, uh, I guess, uh, an assumption that Peter is being used for special purposes. Like Peter is actually almost like an instrument in God's hands and he's partnering with God and as he's just opening his mouth and sharing something, it enables an open heaven as we just shared at the very beginning of worship to come in the platform of Cornelius' household and not just be something that Peter and his community are aware of, but now as the Bible says, this whole new dimension of the Gentile community have just experienced the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Peter's being used as an instrument for special purposes. I want to put to you today before we even get started that God wants to use you and is in fact using you as instruments for special purposes. Even right now, some people are in this room, you're walking in insecurity, you read the Bible, you think, man, what is my place? God has a plan and a purpose for you that you would be used by him in partnership with him, not on your own, but in partnership with him as an instrument for special purposes. Many of you have heard me speak about and from this platform demonstrate that I am a lover of something called F45. F45 essentially is fitness uh, functional training. 45 stands for the fact that when you arrive at F45, it usually goes a session for about 45 minutes. The truth is I hate cardio and I'm 39 years old now and I've realized after 39 years, as much as I desire to run, 
and to jog and to go for leisurely walks for fitness, I ain't going to do it. Uh, But if you put me in a room where there's a whole bunch of people and there's a clock on the wall and there's goals and objectives, I'm going to run this little booty so hard that it's going to, it's just going to, it's, I'm just, this sweat will come. Something that I've learned about F45 is after usually the first month or within that first month of joining up, you almost throw up every time you finish a session. Like I'm not joking, excuse the terminology, but I'm getting to a point. After about a month, maybe a month and a half, your body starts to get used to moving and contorting and doing things called blurpees, which essentially is you just falling flat on the floor and then bouncing up again like you're a surfer. Being 118 kilos, the blurpee isn't the favorite exercise, if you know what I mean, amen? And then after about maybe two months, you start to realize that your cardiovascular system, your, your breathing starts to get better. Most of you probably wouldn't know, but F45, when you arrive, it's so good for those of us who don't think they'll ever run. You arrive in a room, and yesterday I went at 7 a.m. in Surface Paradise, and there were 24 exercises set up. And what you'll do is you'll arrive, and for 45 seconds, for example, you'll be on, a, 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 on an exercise. The first one I did yesterday, I was holding a medicine ball that was 10 kilos. And, and there was a heightened bench that I had to just, like, hop. And while I hopped, I just had to throw the ball from side to side. Now, holding a 10-kilo ball, jumping with, with, with bass and drum and bass and R&B in the background, it makes it an intense environment. Uh, it's heightened by the fact that you're surrounded by 48 other people. Interesting, yesterday I was doing it and I had a bit of a plan because before you start the circuit, the trainers go around and they describe and they give an example of what each workout looks like. I thought to myself, I'm going to be cunning today. I've got a strategy. I've got a plan. I felt a little bit lethargic. Saturday morning, 7 a.m., only had a double shot cappuccino. And as I'm there on the ball, I thought... My plan was the two bikes that were behind me, which was the sequence that I was going, I would warm up my cardiovascular system on the bikes. So 45 seconds was up. I had my 15-second break. Still was probably not in full breath. Jumped onto the bike, and I thought, cool. I'm like kind of hiding on the bike. I'm just warming up. I'm going to pace myself. And again, 118 kilos, I've learned that pacing yourself is very important. And as I'm on the bike, I'm there, and all of a sudden, this big tanned Polynesian hand reached around as I'm pedaling away the hand came in and then I hear this come on bro we're gonna work you today and I'm like no that's the one thing it's the one thing out of everything I did not want today pressure attention focus and if you know any Kiwis that are big they look like statue trainers like they're not quiet they want the whole room to know that they're working on you on that bike I got to a point in the first 10 seconds where I was literally up trying to push the pedals down and I had no motion because he turned it up. I said, dude, I've got to go around the whole thing. You're going to wreck me. He said, no, bro, we're going to break you and we're going to make you. And I'm thinking, dude, you have no idea. I still had the bike and then I still had the rower and in my mind, I'm picturing him just following me around. (laughs) See, these guys are unique. They're, They're trainers, they're athletes. There's other athletes around and I really go not just to get muscle these days, that's gone, I'm a dad, I've got three kids, a beautiful wife, but now I just want to keep fit and last a long time so I can chase my boy up the field, if you know what I mean. But the interesting thing is, and to put things into context and arrive at my point is, I've trained with these trainers, and they look fit, they look amazing, they look like they got it all together. But I could tell you that there is actually no clear point while I'm watching them train from the beginning to the end of the exercise 
that they give any sort of indication that they've actually arrived that they've arrived at a peak fitness level, that they've arrived at a point where, 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 man, I've got this, I can just give up and move on. I put to you today that there's probably two relationship analogies that we could make with our faith and with life and maybe even with fitness training. One is that just when you think you've arrived, the tempo gets turned up. And the second is your breakthrough is only capped by your hunger. Let me say that again. Your breakthrough is only capped by your hunger. Why do I think this is an important message today? We've been through a long year. I think I could speak for everyone. We're coming up to Christmas. It's an amazing time. We're not uh, governed by seasons, but usually in the flesh, we know that when we start the year, it's like, yoo-hoo, we're starting the year. Coming into the end of the year, we start to slow down and we start to ponder what's going on. I need to tell someone today that God wants to use you as an instrument for special purposes. And I need to tell you today, it's not about arriving at any particular place, whether it's in your faith, whether it's in your family. Come on, some, some parents know what I'm talking about. I remember Chrissy and I, we, we, we were like on our wedding night. In fact, a couple of weeks after we found out that she was pregnant. So, so we didn't do the whole honeymoon period, hang out for a year, but whatever. We went through the app stage, right? You get the app and you know you're going to have a baby. And it starts out, there's a little raisin on the screen. And you look at that raisin on the couch. You turn off the TV. You're like, my baby's a raisin and my little baby and you name the name and then they get to be a prune and then they get to be a peach and then they're a nectarine and then they're a grapefruit and all of a sudden they become a rock melon and you're like man that's my little boy I love him so much I know most parents know what I'm talking about that had iPhones when they had babies you know what I mean but then things change and you get to a point in life where you're in a hotel or a, you wish you were in a hotel you're in a hospital room You've been there for about 24 to 48 hours. Your wife looks like she's about to die. And then all of a sudden, this little person turns around and hands you a baby that's pink, covered in white stuff. And you're like, I've seen your head for the last four hours, but now I'm seeing your whole body. And they say, take off your shirt and hold it. At that particular point, you realize, hey, that whole nine months wasn't about arriving but as it was about staying on the journey or staying on track, uh, even further when you wake up on a Saturday morning and go to F45 and realize that you have to get your butt home to get back to the house to prepare your kid who's six now to get to baseball. It was never about arriving. It was always about just staying on track. As we go into the end of this year and as we go on in this story, putting it in the frame of a testimony, it could almost appear like Simon Peter, he'd arrived. But I want to tell some people today to encourage you that Peter was staying on track. If we were to go back to a different part, a different part of the narrative of the story of Peter, it actually looks a lot different or different. And this depicts just the grace and the love of God. The Bible says in Luke chapter 22, verses 31 and 32 in the message translation, it says this, Simon, in other words, Jesus said to Simon, they're sitting around, they're having the last supper. He says, stay on your toes. Satan has tried his best to separate all of you from me. Like chafe from wheat, Simon, I have prayed for you and particularly that you will not give in or give out. When you have come through this time of testing, turn to your companions and give them a fresh start. Slightly different picture to what you hear over here at what looked like Peter had arrived. Over here, we're hearing Jesus sitting at the Last Supper at the table, and he's saying, Simon, dude, there's going to be some hard times ahead. 
I don't know where you are in the journey, but we're going to go on the journey. But I think this can speak to a lot of people as it spoke to me when God downloaded this. In fact, it still speaks to me even over this weekend. When I look at this particular phrase and passage, and even I think it's indicated up there, the second you, when you have come through this time of testing, turn to your companions and give them a fresh start. Jesus was talking, the you was plural. He was speaking openly. He was speaking to everyone in the room. If the Bible is alive and living, and it's the word of God today, it's still speaking to us. In other words, we're all going to face times of testing. We are overcome and we don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. Amen. But nonetheless, we still have to be on our toes. And I think it's healthy to understand that it's not about arriving. It's about just staying on track. If I were to give you a little bit more of a lead into this conversation, it's interesting. I think the NIV says that after Jesus said this to Simon, Simon said to him, Jesus, I will not disown you. I will go to prison and to death with you. And Jesus turned around and he says, Simon Peter, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Now, now we've got to put this in context. We heard the final state that we're talking about this morning. We've heard about Jesus articulating the denial. But think about Peter. Peter's arrived at dinner. He's just heard or just about to hear that Judas is about to betray Jesus. Peter is actually thinking, hey, I'm doing pretty good. I got it all together. I'm hanging out with, the, uh, with Jesus. He's the son of God. Uh, I was invited onto the Mount of Transfiguration when others weren't. I was invited into Jairus' daughter's room. I saw her raised from the dead. Uh, Peter goes on later to use the same methodology and language of rising a, a young lady from the dead. Peter is the one that walked on water. Peter is the disciple that hung out with Jesus in intimate circumstances and situations and places when, when the other guys weren't allowed in. But hold on, now Jesus is saying to Peter, Peter, the devil's asked to sift you. He's asked for you. But how good is Jesus? When you return to me, give the guys a fresh start. You know, I say all that to say this to someone today. You may think you've got it all together. You may think you're, you're there. But it's so important that we keep evaluating our spiritual uh, platform, if you will, or foundation to make sure that we're actually still moving forward. We're not just dismayed. I was talking to Felistus upstairs as I was praying before the service. She said, who was it? Kenneth Copeland said that this faith journey is like a river where we're all going down. In fact, life is like a river. We're all going down. But when we're reading and we're praying, we're actually rowing back upstream. We're going against the grain. But the moment we take our hands off and think that we've arrived, it's like we just start to slip back into the motion. I'm not denying or taking away from the fact that being saved by grace through faith is amazing and that enables us to move into a place and a platform that we never even could dream of. But I want to tell you that is not an indication that we've arrived. If I were to give you an extended version of what I'm trying to say and maybe help someone out with four keys... And what it is to see warning steps to whether we're being actually distracted or distorted or being tempted. Like Peter, I would lead you to Luke chapter 22, verses 54, just a couple of scriptures. In verse 24, verses, 
chapter 22, verses 54, the scripture says, title, Peter disowns Jesus. This is after Jesus has just called out Peter, after Jesus has been arrested, after Peter and all the other disciples fell asleep a couple of times while Jesus was praying in the garden. It says this, and I want to speak this to someone today as an encouragement, not as a, a, a condemnation. Then seizing him, they led him away and they took him, speaking of Jesus, into the house of the high priest. But hear this, Peter followed at a distance. Peter said, Jesus, I'm not going to disown you. I'm not going to leave you. I will follow you to prison and I will follow you to death. Right here, the first thing the Bible says that when Jesus was taken into confinement, when he was handcuffed and led away, Peter started to fall back. My question for someone today is Peter followed at a distance. He's still there, but he's a little incognito. Hey, I don't really want to get involved. I'm going to minimize my time with God. I haven't prayed for six weeks, but hey, I'm still there. I'm still with you. I don't know who you are in this room today. And again, I'm preaching to myself here. Something we should do as we come to the end of the year is just analyze and take a snapshot of our life and ask ourselves, have I become distant with my relationship with God? The second thing that stands out to me in verse 55, the Bible says, and when some of them had kindled the fire in the middle of the courtyard, being the other community, the accusers of Jesus, he and had sat down together with them. Peter sat down with them. Peter sat down with them. Peter became divided. First, he was distant. The second thing he was, was divided. He started mixing with the uncommitted crowd. The Bible says, be all things to all men. But it's pretty clear and evident that Peter wasn't in a place internally or his faith level or his confidence level where he could be with other community and be okay with just walking into the pub or going into the pokies or going into a place. I know I'm speaking of an extreme example right now. Or maybe going to that, that, that poker night after work or whatever the case may be. Peter wasn't at a place, but he positioned himself there. He started to blend in with the crowd. And I'd ask you today, have you become divided as we approach the end of the year? The third thing that stands out to me about Peter's denial, stepping away, this testimony of Jesus, he became deluded. Verse 57, skipping a bit of scripture here, it says that Peter sat down with them. Excuse me, Peter, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him. Let me come back to that. Verse 57, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. The Bible tells us that a lady looked at Peter while he was sitting with her community and said, hey, weren't you with them? Aren't you a follower of Jesus? No, Peter denied it. Are there points and times where you deny the gifts of the Holy Spirit on your life? Are we denying the very fact that we are born again, raised essentially from the dead, leaving our old lives behind? Are we at a place where we are defending the gospel? I love people are paying out this Kanye West all over the world. And I was pretty confident I wasn't going to speak about it, but I heard him speaking to Joel Osteen the other day. And he said, my mission is to transform all the best rappers, all the best artists, all the best producers, all the best. And he says, if I've been saved by grace through faith from my old life and I've been made new, and now I receive and understand that Jesus is the son of God, why would I not proclaim the new life that I live? Should I just go and hide under a rock or should I just just be quiet? No, I'm going to stand up and use the gift that God's given me. 
I'm not proclaiming Kanye, but I'm telling some people in this room that God wants to use you as an instrument for special purposes. He wants to see you rise up. He wants to see you become a mouthpiece. Uh, there's, a, there's an analogy or a, someone once said that preach a sermon at all times and when you have to use words. You might not have a platform like Kanye and do your own church services and hire jumbo jets, but it starts with the one and the two and the three. It, it starts with staying with people and not becoming deluded. And the fourth thing I've got to keep moving that stands out to me about Peter's denial and this road that he was on is he actually, he was deluded. And the fourth thing is his passion became denial. Remember Peter, Peter's the, Peter's the guy that's suspected as cutting off the guard's ear. Peter's the guy that was passionate. Peter is the guy that, man, he, he's the one that jumped out of the boat. He had a passion. Remember, his thoughts bypassed his brain from his heart and they came out. But in verse 60, it says here that Peter replied, man, I don't know what you are talking about with emphasis. The Bible tells us in this moment that the rooster crowed. And then we move on, right? No, no, that's not what happened. The Bible says at the moment that the rooster crowed, that Peter was standing there in the courtyard. And if we were to see the narrative or the picture of this, it was like it froze and the Bible says that Jesus looked up in that moment and made eye contact with Peter. It says that he looked at Peter, and here's the thing, I've read that so many times. And now I come back to a place where I actually believe Jesus wasn't looking, and we know it wasn't condemnation. We know it probably wasn't a convicting look, although that might have been what Peter felt. Because God is love, Jesus is love. I only do what I hear the Father say, and I only do what I see the Father do. So if Jesus looked up, the God of, this is Jesus. This is Jesus. When he was at the last of the last of his breath, he'd suffered the most pain. He looked up to God in heaven and he said, God, forgive them for they know not what they do. This is a God that, that, that when he was in the courtyard hanging out with his disciples and the kids were being noisy off in the background and they were like, shh, get away. Don't run up the noisy ramp at the back. And everyone was getting frustrated. Jesus is the one that like, no, let them jump up and down. Let them be noisy. In fact, bring them closer to me. See, this is the Jesus that looked up at Peter. And I believe that look of looking up at Peter, making eye contact with Peter, wasn't a, you're, you're an idiot. Stop doing stupid things. I think it was a look of, Peter, I love you so much. I told you this was happened. The rooster has crowed. Now it's time to move on. Now it's time to move on. Peter, I love you. The, the, this is a look of grace. Peter, Peter, please don't run away. Peter, Peter, please don't leave community. Peter, I love you so much. Probably with tears, probably with anguish. Yes, he was in pain. Yes, it was an awkward situation. But then Jesus, for to move along, I believe Jesus would say, as he said to Peter in that look, He's saying the same thing to us today, again, not to bring a condemnation on you. If you're someone that's been distant, if you're someone that's been divided, if you're someone that's been deluded, even if maybe you've just been a bit of denial about the things of God and the journey that you've been on, I believe Jesus right now in this moment through the power of the Holy Spirit is giving you that look of, son, don't give up, don't go away, don't call 2020 a year without God, don't make the decision to leave, don't leave your kids, don't leave your wife, don't make that stupid decision with your finance. Jesus is saying, just draw near to me. It's interesting because in 1 Corinthians 15 verses 3 to 5, 
Paul is writing from prison and he's surrounded by his colleagues, Timothy and a few others, and he's writing this letter. letter, And although it's a letter from Paul, there's a group discussion, I believe, going on as to all the different dynamics and dialects of crazy things that are coming out of this crazy church in Corinth. And Peter writes this, I'm sorry, Paul writes this. He says, for what I've received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he raised on the third day according to the scriptures, hear this, and that he appeared to Cephas or Simon Peter and then to the 12. That's the Jesus that I know. But even after being denied, even after everything had gone, I don't think it was appointed and I don't think it was deliberate. We know that Mary was the first one to arrive at the tomb, but the first of the disciples as Peter ran and the Bible says he outran the others. It was Peter that arrived and Peter was there to see Jesus. I want to tell you, regardless of your circumstance, your situation, your financial standing, your mental health standing, there's always a but then Jesus. And but then Jesus interrupted in Peter's world once again. First it was a look and then it was a face-to-face conversation because Peter made the effort and he was hungry and he was deliberate to run to the feet of Jesus. What you fail to recognize, you fail to release. When Peter heard that Jesus was in a place, he was off. He was running. He was there. I believe Jesus, as I said, before is saying to us this morning the same as he said to Peter appearing with him first that you are on track in a large house the scripture says in 2 Timothy 2 20 and 21 there are articles not only of gold and silver but also of wood and clay some for special purposes and some just for common uses those who cleanse themselves from the later will be instruments for special purposes made holy and useful to the master and prepared to do a good work. Jesus is the way maker. He's the maker of the way. He's the miracle worker. I love what Paul is writing to Timothy here. As he's writing to us as the church, he's saying, guys, if you would just choose to forget about the past, forget about the testimony, and you would decide that you want to be someone that refreshes other people, He says, I will use you as an instrument for special purposes. God wants to use you as an instrument for special purposes. We scroll forward in Peter's journey. We've had him over here. He looks like he's arrived, but he's on track. We've spoken about Peter being over here at the beginning. He's, he's, He's got this word of knowledge, which is kind of awkward from Jesus. And then we've got Peter over here in the middle after he's seen Jesus, met with Jesus. Jesus has approached him many times. And as Jesus went up, he said to the disciples in the book of Acts, go and wait in the room. Stay together in a community. It's interesting because I see Peter stand up after he just denied Jesus three times. The community is aware of it. They've seen the restoration process behind closed doors of Peter and Jesus and them as disciples over that period as Jesus appeared to 500 people. But then Peter stands up. There's a moment and an opportunity where the community comes in and they gather around and they say, are these guys drunk? We know that Peter stood up and said, hey, we are not drunk on wine because it is only nine in the morning. Uh, but we have been filled or baptized with the Holy Spirit. We know that Peter went on and Peter started to quote Joel too, that in the end times that the Lord will pour out his spirit on all people. 
And we know that story, but then I look back at Peter and I just wrote this and what I see defining as a moment for Peter, it was an exhilaration, anticipation, even expectation for Peter. What I see is Peter was in the realization that he just arrived at the culmination of the track he was on. And it was marked by a place of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Not to say that he had arrived, uh, but that he was on track for what God had prophesied, that he would be Peter the rock on which he builds his church. And Peter saw that, hey, this was an opportunity not to go backward, not to be deluded, not to deny Christ, not to deny other things, not to get caught up in the old stuff, but I'm moving forward because the old man has gone and the new has come. couple of things that I see. Obviously, first and foremost, we know that Peter was baptized in the Holy Spirit. He went from being in the presence of Jesus to now being filled with the presence of Jesus. And not just filled with the presence of Jesus, presence of Jesus, but to be clothed, to be endued, to have it rested upon, fitted upon, alitted upon. The Holy Ghost was on him, but there are some very natural things Peter did to transition out of being in denial, being deluded, and being all those other things that I said. I've got to move on. The first thing he did is he didn't quit. If you don't quit, you can't fail. I want to tell someone you're on track. If you don't quit, you can't fail. It's going to be difficult. No one's going to do it for you. But you'll be amazed at what God will do with you and in you and through you if you determine that your life is His and you keep showing up. How do I know? Today's my birthday. I wasn't expecting that. Like literally, it's not my birthday and I only thought of this this morning. Sitting on the couch at 6am. Did I let you down? No, no, literally, it's my birthday in 2005, this day. My cousin invited me all week to church, to this church down in Monaco Street. I was addicted. I was injecting meth and heroin. I was looking at all sorts of things I shouldn't have, playing all sorts of games I shouldn't have, doing all sorts of things I shouldn't have. But when I arrived, I was at a bottomless point. I literally had a plan in my head that I was going to jump off the City Point building and surface where I was living. I thought, I'm done. I can't keep letting everyone down, myself down. I was insecure. I was lost and broken. I arrived at that service on that Sunday night, sat in the back of the room, didn't really want anything to do with anyone, and then didn't realize I saw all the red froggers leave. And then as I sat there in that auditorium, it was like liquid love. The presence of God just started to touch me. And I know that I know that I know from that day forward, the one call that I always had was, God, if you're real, make yourself real to me. I know that Jesus said, I believe to Philip, hey, you've believed because you have seen, but blessed are those who have believed that have not seen. Speaking of a higher level of faith, I was one like Philip. I needed to see. I grew up under the umbrella, fourth generation pastor's kid. I ran for the mountains. I'm telling you all this to say that the last 13, 14 years since 2005, five of those years spent in rehabilitation. 12 attempts, three and a half years inside a program that should have taken one year. But everything I do now today is an overflow of the things I learned, the principles, the defining facts, the ability that, and the knowledge and the understanding that if you don't give up, you can't fail. You just need to stay on track. It doesn't matter whether you're aiming for the stars or you have no dreams at all. God will work a miracle in your life. He wants to use you as an instrument for special purposes. He's not backing up, are you? 
I heard this this morning when I came in, a Chinese bamboo. A bamboo plant, it takes five years for this bamboo plant to reach full growth. For four of the years, of the five years, that bamboo plant stays in the ground. It has to be uh, manipulated. The ground has to be fertilized. It has to be watered for four years, and you don't see anything come out of the ground. But in the 90 days after the four-year mark, you see that thing go, sorry, in 30 days, you see it go 90 feet in the air. I heard a speaker, he was saying, it's interesting because if you came out and saw a little Chinese man or whoever manipulating that garden, doing gardening, and for four years you saw him just changing the soil and planting, you're like, what are you doing? You're wasting your time. There's nothing there. The truth is there's actually a plant that's 90 feet in the air, but it just hasn't come out of the ground yet. Had he stopped at any part of that journey and manicuring the ground, the seed would have died. And I want to tell you today, you might not be seeing a seed, you might not be seeing a shoot, you might not be seeing greenery, you might not be seeing fruit, but I want to tell you, you might just be at the third year and the, 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 the 363rd day and only two more days of just investing and doing, digging in the soil, you will see something come to life. Peter didn't quit and he didn't fail. Peter didn't go it alone. Peter stayed in community. Second thought, best thing that we can do to combat the devil and becoming isolated, distorted, deluded, and in denial is we can stay in community. We spoke on honor last month. I don't think it's just a mishap or a coincidence that when Paul wrote Ephesians chapter 5, he spoke all about the principles of honoring husband and wife, honoring sons and daughters, and honoring God and living that lifestyle of honor, and then spoke about what it was to walk in spiritual warfare. Because unless you're walking in a lifestyle of honor and kingdom honor, you'll never be able to overcome when you're in spiritual warfare. How do you overcome when you're in spiritual warfare? You honor. How do you honor? You stay in community with like-minded people. And the last thought that I have for you today is Peter positioned himself for worship. It's interesting that when David had everything coming against him and the community, his wives, his livestock, their families, their sons and daughters, everything was stolen. The Bible says that Peter went away and he strengthened himself in the Lord. What was Peter? Peter was a worshiper. What did they do when they were in the upper room? They worshiped, they prayed, they sought the Lord. They got the community right. They voted for justice and Matthias and they drew straws. They got their community back together. They stayed in community. They didn't quit. They didn't give up. It was one day, two days, three days. Eventually the Holy Ghost, like suddenly, like the sound of a rushing wind, came and just baptized them. They didn't give up. They stayed in community and they worshiped. I said this at the beginning, introduction to worship testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The testimony of Jesus is a written or record of anything that he has done. I would add to that that it is the life-giving, breathing, walking testimony of what Jesus has done. Amen. The prophetic is the word of God sent forth to encourage and change a circumstance. Once again, the testimony of Jesus carries with it the weight of heaven to alter realities. The Hebrew word for testimony implies that something has been replicated and done over and over and over. 
a testimony was never meant to be something that we just write on the wall and say, well done, good and faithful, and then we move on. No, no, the whole point of a testimony was to give life, to see the next generation and the next generation and the next generation walk in the miracles and the signs and the wonders that we're seeing in the present tense. The testimony is an activity that releases God into circumstances. I believe God wants to break circumstances this morning. God wants to do something. We have a ministry team that are going to come, come and pray in just a second. I read before that the Lord, if we put away the old life and we walk in intimacy with Him, that God will use us as instruments for special purposes. You know, the flesh wants to say, hey, it's all good, just pray and just like, just hang out with Jesus sometimes. But the truth is, you won't be used for a, as an instrument for special purposes unless your heart and your life is consecrated to God. Unless you just, you just draw a line in the sand and say, no, God first. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God. He said, ask, seek, and knock. Jesus placed an emphasis, if you draw near to him, that God will draw near to you. In other words, it's not, not just when you feel like it, because that's religion. It's, it's a relationship. It's consistent walking, knowing that God is with you. I say all that to say this, the beginning part of that scripture, it indicates this, that the Lord knows who it is. Everyone who confesses the name says that they must turn away from their wickedness. And then God will use you as an instrument for special purposes. There's a beginning point of confessing the name of Jesus. I want to ask if you'd stand with me this morning, everyone in this room, as we finish up. If you're in this room and you've never invited Jesus into your heart, you've never made a decision to put him first, you know that you're probably living a life of something like I've just said. You, you just, you know that the world's got you, you're going crazy, you're just giving all of yourself to it. I want to tell you, friend, that there's a better way. You've already heard a glimpse of my testimony, but I want to tell you there's a testimony of your own that needs to be made, that God wants to use you as an instrument for special purposes. He wants to transform. He wants to shape. He wants to mold. He wants to do something with your life that you didn't even dream possible. At the point of salvation, I never knew that I would be responsible for a $12 million building leading a church, having three kids, having a house, having all of these things. And even though now I have them, I don't see them as, wow, I've arrived. They're actually huge responsibilities that only God can do. So I need to stay close to him. But I want to tell you far beyond any of your wildest dreams, God can take you there. But the first thing we have to do is confess his name and declare that we believe in him. If you're in this room with every eye closed and every head bowed and you're saying, Pastor, today's the day I want to give my life to Jesus. I, I want to make a decision to invite him into my heart. You're speaking to me and that's me. I just, I just want to, I just, I just need a fresh start. You might not know what decision you're making, but I want to tell you, you're inviting, you're saying, I want to begin a relationship with Jesus, the Son of God. If that's you in this place right now, you just shoot your hand up. You're saying, that's me, Pastor. Would you pray with me? I'm looking around. Anyone in this room, you just shoot your hand up. Eyes are closed. Heads are bowed for privacy. Anyone in this room, you've never invited Jesus into your heart. This morning's the morning that you want to do that. I'm looking around. Hey, that's great. I want to tell you tonight's the night to invite someone. Amen. 
Tonight's the night to bring someone along. Before we finish, I, I just believe that this message, not for my sake at all, but for people in this room in the same way that I've been responding ever since God spoke this to me and I wrote it down and nutted it out. It's just been like I've just constantly come back to key points in this and just responded. I believe that I've been speaking and touching people's hearts in this room, or God has, as I've been speaking. See, there's this story, just real quickly, there's a story about a lady who breaks into what you could call a prayer meeting, a dinner meeting, a buffet meeting, where Jesus is sitting with his disciples, and she breaks in, the, the header or the, the key narrative statement in this story is that she's carrying an alabaster box. And some of you have heard it, most of you would have read it, but as she comes into the room, everyone's like, no, no, don't come in. And as this lady comes in, she comes to the feet of Jesus and she's holding this alabaster box, which is like a clay jar, essentially, or a box. It's designed real beautiful and inside is a perfume of fragrance and essentially she's standing there with the fragrance and the Bible says that she smashes it at the feet of Jesus. A writer wrote and spoke about this perfume and it said that this particular perfume was known in the marketplace and it depicted whoever was wearing it as a prostitute, as a working girl which changed the whole perspective I had on this story. See, what she's doing is she's running at the feet of Jesus and she's saying, Jesus, this is the sin that I have in my life. This is the thing that's keeping me deluded. This is the thing that's keeping me distorted. This is the thing that's keeping me in denial. And what I'm doing right now, even though I love you and you are the son of God and I have a relationship, whatever the case, she runs in and she says, I'm taking the very thing that's causing me to stumble and I'm smashing it. I'm giving it to you. If I've been speaking to you this morning, I want you to step out of your seat and come down the front. You're saying, this morning, I've got things in my life that are keeping me in denial. They're keeping me deluded as the worship begins. Come on, why don't we raise our hands in this place? If you right now, this morning, you've heard this message, you know that you, you just have been struggling. You know there's been denial. You know you've been deluded. You know that things have gone on. And that's you and you need prayer. You want to just make a fresh start. You want to make a fresh decision. You want God to just remove these things out of your life. You're saying, Pastor, that's me. Just step out of your seat and come down the front. It always takes one to start. I'm telling you, if I was down there, I'd be at the front. In Jesus' name, Father, right now, I thank you for a boldness and a confidence, Lord. Father, I thank you that this is a morning where we can leave changed, modified, rectified, transformed by the testimony of who you are. Father, in this place, as we raise our hands and we begin to worship, Father, I just pray right now for every person. Father, I thank you for your anointing. I thank you for the testimony of Peter, that it gives life and it breathes confidence and courage and hope for us to keep moving forward, that you would use us as instruments of special purposes. You know, I feel in my heart of hearts, that God is saying that there are people that are holding on to things and they actually are stunting you from actually being used as an instrument for special purposes. There are prophets in this room. There are apostles in this room. There are evangelists in this room. But because of denial, because of stepping back, because of becoming deluded, I don't want to keep harping on about this. I just don't want you to leave the same. Amen. Just come down the front. There's people stepping out. Come on. The Lord's touching you. Just come down the front. Holy Spirit, just put yourself out.